song. Special guest, David Zaslav. No, it's just his picture. <laughs> I wish he was our very special guest this week because I'd have so many questions for him. Would you, Rich? We've never had a guest on the Light Shed podcast. No, but we do have our Light Shed Live product. We um, do. Which, which Zaz has been on, and he, we terminated him with the Discovery Channel song, of course. Because music How does that go again? Part of you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do <laughs> it on the Discovery Channel. You're actually really good at that, Brandon. Were I you mean, ever going to be? A, were you ever going to be a musician in your life? Like, was that ever like a thought that that was like your career? Uh, path? I played the drums and I played guitar, and guess what? I sucked at both. And you want? So know you had I drums played? in your parents' basement? Yes. And you want to know why I sucked at both? Are the drums still there? No, because I have no hand-eye coordination whatsoever. Walter, are you okay? Because your background is like changing like nonstop, and I'm just worried you're not okay today. I'm no, I'm to, totally I'm trying not. to. I'm trying to figure. Is he talking to you? I, I know that it seems like everything is about addressed that, to you. As that you has know. been a common theme this week, Walt. He literally did just address the question to me. Yeah, and he went and to answer answered. it. Yep. But, no, no. But this that's, is that's this is typical. Times. Yeah. <laughs> This what is are you sort of talking like, about? Are you, are you calling me self-centered? I'm just saying that sometimes you answer not self-aware. You answer <laughs> questions that are addressed to me. I'm just trying to find my my pigmentation is a bit off. I mean, I was just at the beach for a week. I don't. know. I'm much darker than this. I don't. When I hold my hands up, it changes changes the pigment of my skin. I don't even know what's going on. And then help everyone understand. Emoji, Walt mm-hmm. on um on iOS is very very tan. And yes, I call it an emoji for you because you're an animal. Why did we play that song this week, Brandon? Help everyone understand why that was uh, this week's music. I think that there's many, many reasons why we would play the song this, this week. And I don't need to get into all of them. But heads will roll. No. Do you want to know why? Sure. First of all, I'm fired up, Rich. The reason I'm fired up this week is because many of the companies that we cover collectively among the three of us have real questions to answer like hard questions, but guess what? They won't even take our questions on the conference call, particularly the ones you cover rich. And I believe 
that there's just this, you know, overwhelming sense of fear of having to actually answer the tough questions. It's so disappointing the way conference fear calls are staged. But you know whose head should roll, Rich? The weenie IR people. Yes. <laughs> it drives me nuts that there isn't a more democratic process to asking questions. <laughs> but look, it's, it's not just on conference calls, too. I mean, you know, I think we should play the clip from CNBC this week where David Faber was complaining sort of about CEOs. Was not a clip from CNBC. Sorry, where was it? I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Yeah. Walt's favorite podcast, the one that he rips on every day. <laughs> That's the one he wanted to play a clip out of. Why don't you go ahead and get this, roll the clip. <laughs> Here we go. As so many of these CEOs will choose to communicate, but then they're not going to say anything. I mean, they're instructed not to say anything. Yeah, go on CNBC, go talk. But God forbid you should give a straightforward answer to a question. You know, they've got their general counsel in their head. They've got their head of corporate communications in their head. They got their outside corporate communications person, all of whom are saying, just run out the clock. Just run out the clock. It's only eight minutes. It's 10 minutes of live TV. Just if they ask that one question, just, you know, say something else. I mean, how often does that happen? Because so many of these CEOs will choose to communicate. Why are you playing it again? It loops. Anyway. It, I didn't realize it looped. Okay. There's, there's it didn't realize like, stop. Okay. Like this is what I'm talking about. You guys not being nice to me. Like it's just, I made a mistake. <laughs> okay. Let's I, that was an honest mistake. There's two. I'm not cutting that either. That's staying in there. Like that was just a mistake. Okay. Good, right. Cause now we're going to see how you overreacted to be, <laughs> to being <laughs> Walt. There's yes. the filibuster. Right, yes. which is, hey, we're gonna have that's the, that's five the minutes that, prepared remarks that we could yes. just put out in a letter yes. and take fifteen minutes of questions yes. only from people who with whom we know what question they're gonna ask. But Brandon, the filibuster always also occurs on the answer. Hans Vestberg is the expert from yes. Verizon at answering a question very lengthily, if that's a word. Um, yes, it with is word. no with no actual content. Mike Sievert, on the other hand, is also one that just it's full. It's not as much of a filibuster, but it's just never answering the question. It's full spin. All the time. Straight filibuster. And then there's certain analysts who are going to push hard. And those qu analysts don't get questions. For some reason, I, I get a question every time I start one. And maybe that <laughs> is. I mean, I know it's because I'm a really nice human being and people like me. Um, or it reflects weak questioning. That's well, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm yeah. actually afraid that my questions aren't hard enough. Well, and that's why I think our first slide from hold today. On, was hold on. Before we go to the first slide, I just want to also give a shout out to someone that I have ripped on time. David Barden from Bank of America. Um, on the dish call, when when Charlie Ergen pointed out that he's one of the few executives that do take our question, and then I gave Charlie what I thought was a, a decently um, pressing question. Barden came on afterwards. I assume he was like gearing up to rip me for my question yeah. and literally said something like, you know, I know Walt gives me crap on Twitter, but that was actually a good question. So ah, I love it. Now I feel better about David Barden. I'm going to take it easy on him for a while. As long as he asked better questions or, or I mean, at least he has a sense of humor about it, I guess. That's maybe the good news, guys, right? Maybe you and David should go out to dinner together. 
um, for my one for my one trip into the city every month. Yeah, I'm gonna choose my guess. Or right, now you can go to the next slide. Well, right? I, I was for gonna basically go. Well, you know, be I, 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 I sort of switched up the order. I call, called an audible because I think the concept of asking hard questions is really important. And I actually thought Julia Borston on CNBC okay. did a phenomenal job interviewing Bob Chapik from Disney yesterday. And we have a clip that I want to contrast what she asked and then sort of how um, are the, the, the one and only David Zaslov tackled the same issue. So let's listen to Bob Chapik talking about direct to streaming movies and how Disney's strategy differs from Warner Brother Discoveries. Let's go to the videotape window it does not change how we're going to think about our theatrical window look we love the theatrical business it's been great for us love the beard he's uh, rocking have, now that's you know, a new thing for uh, a tremendous legacy of doing big numbers in theaters uh but we also believe that some three-year contract he's feeling comfortable had, now uh, are probably unnecessary and so we're going to have relatively quick windows but we're going to put our big blockbusters through the theatrical distribution system so we get all the benefits our shareholders get all the benefits of that and then quickly go to disney plus but there will also be a lot of movies that will go directly to disney plus so we talked about from the beginning of the pandemic about flexibility so getting rid of windows very quick to disney plus and still plenty of movies directly to disney plus now let's listen uh, to Warner Brothers. Honestly, but by the way, let's analyze one at a time. I okay. think what Bob said there is actually pretty consistent with what he has said for a long time. Meaning flexibility, that comment Flex of... Yeah, flexibility has been the overriding theme for Disney. And I think there's certain films that are, you know, create the collective as Walt likes to talk about. And those are appropriate for the theater. And you go right to a very quick window um, into Disney Plus afterwards and capitalize on the original marketing spend. And then those who want to watch the film multiple times, even if they saw it in the theater, can. Very consumer friendly overall. And then there are certain films that don't belong in the theater. Okay, let's go to the man himself with the shades, David Zaslav. Strategically, we've looked hard at the at the director streaming business. We've seen luckily by having access now to all the data, how director streaming movies perform. And our conclusion is that expensive director streaming movies in terms of how people are consuming them on the platform, how often people go there or buy it or buy a service for it and how it gets nourished over time uh, is no comparison to what happens when you launch a film in the motion picture, in, in the theaters. And so this idea of expensive films going direct to streaming, we cannot find an economic case for it. We can't find an economic value for it. So you really can't have two different, and it, it goes beyond that. Not only is Discovery, Warner Brothers Discovery, killing all movies that are going direct to streaming. On top of that, they're putting windowing back in. So it's not just put in theaters and then go to streaming quickly, like what Disney's talking about. It's come out in theaters, then they're going to do premium video on demand where they try to sell it for 20, 30, 30 plus dollars um, directly to the home. And then at some point, they're going to be a lot more, it sounds like longer, often longer than 45 days, they will then go to uh, HBO Max. So it's a tr just a night and day strategy. Uh, yes, the big blockbusters are sort of the same uh, in terms of going to theaters, but very but different really strategies. Because of the amount of windowing, it's actually not the same. Correct. All I have to say to David is 
Your content better be really fucking good every time if that's a strategy that you're going to employ without flexibility. And that's it. And by the way, I don't know if David's the guy who can determine whether the content is that good every time because that's not his background. He's uh, the do it like you do on Discovery Channel guy. It's going to be very interesting. And I, I, you, don't, you don't usually have two huge companies. You know, I think Warner Brothers and Disney are sort of the, you know, those are the two biggest brand name studios in Hollywood. You don't usually have this type of discrepancy in strategy or such a difference in strategy between two companies. I think the real story is sort of the debt and sort of the willingness to invest. And that sort of brings us to our next slide, which is not only is Disney raising the price of, of Disney Plus, unless you want to have advertising, they're jacking it by almost 40% to $11 a month. But the second tweet we have here is Ryan Foudner. I think this is LA Times. Worth noting that Disney lost $1 billion from streaming in one quarter. And I think that's the that's the huge sort of Disney's just spending and the market is now rewarding them. Like they, the market believes it. Go ahead, Brandon. Um, yeah. You're saying Disney is now spending and the market is rewarding it. But I think one of the reasons the stock may have gone up in addition to them quote beating subscriber forecasts, which by the way, in the United States, I think they only added a hundred thousand subscribers um, and we could talk about core versus India after, but one of the big themes, especially on the callback, right, with Christine, was that they are going to stop increasing spending, Yep. right? That peak losses are here. They will be less next year. And spending on content is not going to grow. In fact, I think she was very pointed in saying something like, this is not what agents, your talent agents want to hear, but this is the reality that we're now entering. Okay. I think, and I think, and the street, I think, applauded the rationality there. I think that was part of the stock price move. Um, and the other thing that they're going to stop spending so much on is marketing. I think they think they have their TAM. Like, I remember before Disney Plus launched, we were doing this exercise. How many households have a kid under the age of 15? Yeah. Marvel fans, Lucasfilm fans, and D Dupe. And we basically said it was around 40 million. Disney Plus is at 44 and a half million subscribers in the US. And it looks like they're tapped out. So now they're going to hope that, you know, sort of big Marvel Lucas families like the Pisic household don't mind either a 38% price increase or they're willing to absorb ads to keep the price the same. That's the bet they're making is that it's too important, just like the theme parks. They feel like they can raise price because people keep coming. That was Chapik's quote on CNBC. They're going to do that same strategy now that they have their TAM reached on streaming. They're going to take that same strategy of we can take price because we're Disney and no one's going to leave us. Well, it's, it's interesting, Rich, because maybe at this point, they've just hit the super fan, right? And, and they don't even need any more content to satisfy them. In fact, we had lunch with somebody this week not even in the industry, not even in the finance world at all, um, who happened to be a Marvel fan. And she suggested to us that the, the additional content and having more series 
was actually counterproductive because it's diluting the overall product. And you have to engage with this crappier product in order to fill out the whole story. And it was kind of not alienating, but turning off um, some Marvel fans like herself. And she also pointed out the same thing for Star Wars. I thought it was a pretty astute point. Now, Walt, you're a Marvel fan and a Star Wars fan. What do you think? Well, on that point, yeah, I think um, it basically gets back to what you said um, that Zaslav needs to do is you need to come up with good content. So if your focus is having this, you know, remember when D plus first kind of launched and they talked about this long slate, when you have that much slate, obviously, meaning, meaning number of shows and movies and what have you. Um, it's a lot to fill and like, it's hard to, to make a lot of good content. So I think that's just the other way of saying it. Like, can you, it's, it's not a matter of like too much. It's just harder to have good content. And I think, you know, there's been some good shows and there's been some bad shows, um, that have come out, but I think in, in, and I've, I've mentioned this as a benefit for star Wars for, if you have a good ecosystem, you end up getting people to watch shittier shows cause they got to stay current, but that's the same thing like Netflix, like, you, they get people because of their ecosystem to watch shittier shows because like they have to know what people are talking about around the water cooler, whether it's the tiger guy or whatever it is. Um, the other thing I wanted to say on the price increase, however, is, you know, we've had, I, I think this is something we pushed that the wireless operators should do. I think, for, I think since our last um, podcast, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but frontier, which is like a, a, you know, a smaller, whatever, uh, ISP, internet service provider. They bought increased. a bunch of Verizon assets, right? Yeah, and they increased, but they have DSL. So they increased yep. the price by $2 and didn't see increase in churn. AT&T increased price, didn't see an increase in churn. Part of that, in my view, not, no data to support this, is you have just you know all this news about inflation. So it's easy for companies to layer on price increases and not feel the toll. So what did we have this past week that rallied the market? CPI was lower than expected. So you had that second derivative of growth, meaning inflation is slowing. Um, growth is slowing. So it, as inflation um, pulls down, then I think the the impact of these price increase, and, and at the same time, by the way, if you have economic weakness, right, I think a lot of these things will result in, in churn, um, which you might not be able to see in the near term. So what's interesting, right, is Disney stock went up because they're essentially raising price to reduce their losses and get to break even, whereas Discovery stock got annihilated over the last week because they are holding price and actually cutting back on a lot of their investments in categories and genres of programming in order to reduce losses and improve profitability. But I think the case that Discovery, Warner Brothers Discovery laid out was pretty much an end of growth at all. Correct. Whereas Disney came and gave you this target, which was, you know, it was definitely the midpoint of which was reduced by 10-ish million overall subs for their core TAM, but was still in spitting distance. Right now, if you're a Warner Brothers Discovery shareholder, you don't have any idea where subs are going to fucking land but and, but, and by, what you're, but what you're yeah. describing is the parallel to to home broadband to wireless unit growth to streaming unit growth <laughs> all of them 
need to lean on. So if you if you went to someone who's long charter right now, like, oh, you know, now that they, they've had to reduce their their net ad broadband net ad growth dramatically, like, oh, don't worry about it because ARPU is still going to grow at 5% or whatever. Wireless guys, same thing. Like at some point though, like if everyone's increasing price, residential broadband, wireless, streaming, like <laughs> at some point there will be some- The consumer's going to break. The consumer's going to break. break. I don't think it's going to be a dramatic thing, but you'll see some impact, which, and there's historical evidence for this. You will see some impact on churn. And then we'll see there's ways. So here's the question. Here's my question. How do you hide a price cut? You bundle, you vertically bundle. Well, that was a beautiful segue, Walter. Thank you. Because that brings us to Ben Mullen, who had a great scoop at the New York Times this week. Walmart has held talks with Disney, Comcast, and Paramount about bundling streaming services into Walmart Plus. Um, obviously, Chris, do you want to explain what Walmart Plus is, since everyone here is not a you know retail commerce focused person? I think it's very obvious what it is, but why don't you explain? You've heard of Prime, Prime, Amazon Prime, I assume, correct? This is essentially their version of two-day free shipping from right. Walmart. And now they're they just trying to throw, they obviously, unlike Prime Video, where who has their own streaming service, video streaming service, Walmart does not. Um, I will remind everyone in 2019, when I think Roku was 40 or $50 a share, we did pitch the idea of Walmart buying Roku, although it never happened. But now Roku, sorry, now Walmart. But is isn't looking- Roku like 40 or $50 again now? Uh, Roku is 82. So it still would have been a very good trade. Had a nice run up. (laughs) It would have been a good trade, but, but leave it aside. The point is now Walmart's going, Hey, how do we differentiate or how do we add value? Just like Walt's telecom companies have tried to do. How do we add value to our service? We want to package in other streaming services, bring down churn, lower marketing costs. I don't know whether this actually happens and gets off the ground, but it's just another example. I mean, the, the new, problem, new bundle. As the, the pro- right. That's fair. But the problem with this, though, is it's not a true new, new bundle because like Walmart's got this. T-Mobile's got that. Disney's got this. Like, and, and by the way, that's the kind of the the bundles within the bundle. What right. about what about the fact that like Disney the only, is the only one, in my view, that you know where to find the product? I know in my brain. Kids, Star Wars, fucking Marvel. I go to the Disney Plus app. Everything else, I don't know what the fuck service you know why? is on. Well, you want to know why? Because Disney, for all the talk of them expanding into general entertainment, is actually more of an expanded niche, but a niche thing tied to their core brands. And, and, that's and by the way, I think and I think HBO had that as its own brand, and I think HBO Max kind of diluted that. It's obviously going to get materially more diluted now but the point is like i don't like there's no association between the subscription and the content that you like you just happen to find it and at some point whether it's maybe it's verizon's plus play i'll give them a little plug now if it ever launches or versions of that i was going to ask you when is that actually launching you know, i thought it was this summer plus, plus play the, the what plus what, played is what i'll call it oh so the way they someone should do plus played is don't even show the subscriptions you said plus played. <laughs> That's fine. We'll nickname it that. <laughs> plus played. I mean, come on, Verizon. I so plus played. Here's here's the new service that someone someone in our industry should come up with. Don't even show me what the subscriptions are. 
I want to watch a show for the next week. It auto subscribes me and unsubscribes me to the underlying thing and then charges me some other monthly monthly. Well, uh, okay. Well, it's interesting. You we say that. No, 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 it, it, it's, it's, well, we will I'll jump to TVOS in a second, but, but what's interesting about what you just said, Walt, is that's actually the behavior that happens on Amazon. So when I've talked to people who have services on Amazon channels, Amazon is so good at marketing a show like Outlander on Stars. They'll be so good at Power Outlander. They'll get you to subscribe for the show. And then people literally after the show ends, cancel. So the highest churn channel for streaming companies is Amazon channels because they're usually coming on just for a show. my, My point is like, don't even put the onus like that word, the onus, own it, my Philly accent, the onus on the, on, the, on the customer to unsubscribe. If I'm done watching the show and I'm using your platform, whatever platform it is, I just gave a great fucking business idea, have it auto auto unsubscribe to the underlying thing. And then you charge something over the top and fund these sub- subscriptions that go on and go off. Boom. Do you, Walt, do you think this is a real question? Any of these streaming services would allow their service to be on a TV. How would they know? How would they know? How would they know? If you're the subscriber and you put your your credit card information in, it's just a front end and the the subscription service only sees it as that person. Like I know. So you're technology solution. Back end service that where it reads what you're watching and okay. It's not reading what you're watching. You're actually clicking on and saying, I want to watch this. And in the back, it's basically subscribing and then unsubscribing. Got it. I, I hope there are entrepreneurs listening to this as we speak. But let's go to TVOS. this at Light Adventures, Walt? Um, Someone come pitch us at that idea. We may evaluate it. We can. Um, let's just hire a CEO and get going. So, so, so talking of TVOS and what sort of Walt wants in terms of the on-off, we've got two interesting things that have happened this week. One, uh, this is Daniel Frankel. TiVo finally arrives to the global competition with Roku, Amazon, and Google to control the TVOS gateway. So Xperia, I think, bought TiVo for a few billion dollars in the last year or so. I don't remember the exact details. X-P-E-R-I. We've been hearing a lot of speculation that that they were going to use TiVo to sort of build a TVOS. Yes, they're late, but you know, so is Comcast and Charter Joint Venture to this <laughs> whole space. So you have just more and more competition in TVOS. They signed the deal with what they said was a second-tier TV manufacturer outside the US, but they didn't specify who it is. Hopefully we'll learn over the course of the next week or two um, who that TV manufacturer is. I I don't know. But then on top of it, we've got a tweet from Magnus Svensson, I guess. Svensson. Svensson. Google TV is making progress towards launching 50 fast channels. So that's free ad supported streaming television channels. Um, And if the unconfirmed information is correct, Google has managed to land quite a few well-known channels and brands. The point being is that like just Google, the the only takeaway I want from from this slide is Google's TV focus, their TV OS to Brandon sort of comment about the TV OS wars. Google is getting very, very serious. And I don't think investors um, who are looking at this space, thinking about Roku, I don't think they're realizing just how serious, forget about what Xperia does. Google is really ramping up their focus. They've been a big overseas player and they're getting much, much more serious in the US, buying end caps in retail stores, you know, like just becoming far more aggressive. And I think the fast channel launch, just yet another sign of Google's ambitions in the space and something to watch as we head into the holidays. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, right from Roku's playbook, right? 
Correct. <laughs> so, you know, they're seeing what Roku's doing. They're copying it and building out the utility of uh, Google TV. Wonderful. Brandon, sports. Can you read us away? John O'Rand, the guru, barring a last minute change of direction, ESPN will not carry Big Ten games for the first time in 40 years. Well, they're pretty locked in with the SEC at this point, and we've talked about it. There's going to be two real power conferences, and they're very much aligned with the SEC. I think that given the now, you know, extra breadth of the SEC, this is probably okay, and it's important to pick your spots as long as you have a relationship within all of the major sports, and certainly college football is probably after the NFL, the number two, you know, most major sport in this country. Um, and then we go to Stuart Mandel. In 2020, ESPN paid $300 million a year for the number one game currently on CBS. In 2022, CBS is reportedly paying $350 million a year for, at best, number two Big Ten game to fill that spot. There is no inflation quite like sports TV rights inflation. And uh, well, no, but the, the thing here that's important to remember. So just that second part of the tweet where the SEC for $65 million a year, is that where you're going to go? Well, I think it was $55 million a year is what CBS was paying. So you're talking about the cost of, of the big 10 game is three fifty a year compared to 55 million a year for the SEC. I, I know it's an old contract, but wow, yeah, that's a old. big step the, up. The most recent SEC contract is, you know, ginormous. I, I know. It's just like one with that we just that we just discussed. Um the one thing for CBS here is the Big Ten is a lot bigger now than it would have been. A hundred percent. I just remember cable network affiliate fees are now going down. Advertising is no longer growing, probably declining and especially with weakness in the overall global macroeconomic environment. And sports costs just keep exploding. I mean, something is going to have to give at some point. <laughs> I mean, no, that's seriously. and we yeah. not, we don't know the timeline for it. And there's gonna there's a a blow off top will happen. Maybe it's this NBA deal, but at some point, dude, this is insane. It's insane. Services don't get bigger, and it's much harder to loss lead with a streaming service than it is in you know the old world where there wasn't a lot of competition for video eyeballs um unless you have just the tech platforms come in and all take sports rights you're going to probably hit the other side of the curve it's just inevitable i don't know when it happens um walt you want to shift gears to uh, our favorite human um so there's a tweet here about someone tweeting at elon had he actually responded to saying elon are you done selling referencing um tesla stock he said yes in the hopefully unlikely event that twitter forces this deal to close and some equity partners don't come through it is important to avoid an emergency sale of tesla stock so obviously this came after his 6.9 billion dollar sale of tesla stocks 6.9 um he you know this is some i think acknowledgement that the the twitter thing might not go his way and might not have the financing in place 
What's also interesting, Rich put another tweet here is if you go back to 2013, um, you have a tweet from Elon saying, forgot to say one thing at Tesla annual shareholders meeting, just as my money was the first in, it'll be the last out. But, you know, this is one of many things that Elon says um, that he says something and he just did something else happens. That's just the nature of the beast. I know it's just sort of like, first of all, how much more is he going to have to sell? You know, I think it'll be interesting what happens because it's not just even buying Twitter. It's also funding Twitter thereafter. Like, we'll see. I mean, this is going to play. I I wonder whether this is not personally funding it after then you can issue new stock to fund it. It's not like that's not coming out of his personal balance sheet Um, to fund it. So there's ways to capitalize it. So it's not like he's going to be selling Tesla stock to invest, you know, in Twitter's operating losses. Why did he have to sell this now? Right. Why, like, he's, what, well, why either he's moving towards settling now or did it later? Well, Brandon, this the, had a more detrimental effect on the stock price. I, I think he looks at a stock that is rebounded with the market off of the lows. It made a 50% retracement and yep. stocks stocks at 880 and, if it became more clear in a month or so that he yeah, has right. to buy, then people are going to be pressing the stock down. So you sell when you know there's a good time to sell. Tactically, yeah. Makes he, sense. Should have, he should have invested in Fubo at the bottom. It's doubled off the bottom from two to four. I mean, talk about a talk about a dead cat bounce. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Sorry. That's just, just, just a random pot shot event against Fubo. Yeah, I know. Like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I just couldn't help myself. I know. It's just r- but let's stick with Elon. Random. So in it, in more Elon news this week, um, the FCC has, which is run, I think, currently by the Democrats, has rejected both LTD, which is a random small company, and SpaceX's Starlink from its $9.2 billion RDOF program. So quick reminder of what this is. Um, RDOF was government funding. I think it was about $10 billion where companies could bid on um, bringing internet connectivity to people that don't have it. So typically rural America. And, you know, so typically companies like Frontier or Charter um, or CenturyLink would win this. And then they go out and build fiber to these locations, right? In this one, you had random companies win. This was under Pi when these, this is, goes back to all the way back to 2020, you had different people win. One of those companies that won was SpaceX. And so they got $885 million. That means like 90 90 um, million dollars per year. That is not going to make or break SpaceX, given the amount of rockets they fire up and and the outlook for their internet connectivity. So it's not this huge loss for SpaceX. I think this is literally just bad policy by the FCC under um, Chairman uh, Rosenworcel. It's just look, you know, and she cites the speeds at being. She's like citing UCLA tests on the speeds at being a hundred. Chair, or chairman, I got 280 down and 20 up. That's good enough. She also cited the price of the CPE at 600 with, with it lying on the lawn in your backyard, not even like yeah. mounted on Did a- didn't put it on the roof. Like, right. It's good. That's so the key too. All you're doing is taking away funding from people to get internet connectivity today. So why? So that you can use that money then to re-auction it, to have some cable company maybe get to them in four years from now with some fiber, it's like, I don't even understand it. And this is the shit that like Pi talked about when he was leading the FCC. 
Like she just dumped this as a press release in the market. There was no consultation to the companies, to other FCC commissioners. Just like, here's what happened. Sorry, sorry, SpaceX. We're just, we're like, it's very, it feels very subjective. We're just taking away this funding and ultimately is going to hurt people's getting connectivity. Can I ask you a question, Walt? Because I know you're the biggest Democrat I know. Huh. <laughs> um, isn't inclusivity a big part of the Democrat platform? And shouldn't you, your number one priority be to get all of the people in rural areas connected to broadband? Well, I had one other r- related question, but go ahead. No, go ahead. What's the question? Well, it's it's August. Midterms are in November. There's an FCC topic that we haven't addressed in weeks, maybe even a couple of months. That we have no fifth FCC commissioner? Well, and I just think it brings up the question that I wanted to ask you. If the Republicans take the, take the House even, or the, whichever, it doesn't really matter. The Republicans split Congress. We, do we never get like an FCC commissioner I mean, I just, for the rest of this term? You have to put up someone that's going get, to get approved. Right. So that that can happen. But I think, look, if if what happened, there's a lame duck session. And I think a lot of times what happens is you hold up things during this period. I think there's a lot of stuff that gets shoved through at the end and they fill it with somebody at the end just because like there's what's the point of of holding it up? Like you're you're not doing stuff now because you don't want it to impact your votes. Right. During. So once once the votes are done, then you're you're you're, you know need to dig in your heels maybe falls away and maybe some of this stuff ends up getting done. It just depends who it is. We'll say. I assume it's not Gigi anymore. I'm going to make that a, I'm going to go out on a limb there. I have no idea. I mean, if she's still, if she's still kind of around the net, so to speak, then after the election's over, maybe it gets, it gets pushed through. Just one other thought here is, is with this very kind of sudden decision by the FCC, the other larger issue in front of the FCC as it relates to Elon is the battle for 12 gigahertz spectrum, where DISH wants to use it for terrestrial wireless. MSD Capital is in there as well. Um, and Elon wants to use it for greater capacity for, for Starlink, right? I think there's other spectrum that they can use, but that's what he wants to use it. If the FCC is basically telling you, based on this decision, that they don't think that that um, that Starlink is good enough internet connectivity, which, by the way, I think that's a bad assessment. But if that's what they're telling you, then shouldn't they also, if, if they have to make this decision on the 12 gig based on technical reasons and, you know, what's in the in the public's best interest, yeah. is that an indication that DISH and, and MSD is going to win and that they're going to get use of this 12 gig spectrum, which would be a nice incremental win for those companies? We'll and say. when would we find that out? It's, you know, at the discretion of the FCC whenever they damn well please. So we don't know. Okay. Correct. Let's let's go to the world of video gaming, Brandon, and shift gears. Or sorry, interactive experiences. <laughs> 3D interactive, if you will. Sorry. Um, we have two up here. Um, one, the first one is um actually it looks like an excerpt from Roblox's shareholder letter. And it's interesting because it really indicates that age up is working. So I'm gonna read that. In terms of users and engagement hours, male 17 to 24-year-olds should become our biggest track category in the U.S. slash Canada over the next couple of months. 
In July 2022, 17 to 24-year-old male DAU in U.S. Canada grew by 36%. Hours engaged it grew by 49%, and bookings grew by 45% over July of last year. Sort of incredible, right? Like relative to what, what, I mean, people think of Roblox in many ways, the way they thought of musically, you know, pre TikTok days is like being super, super young. Yep. And by the way, overall, it is still super young, right? You're talking about 24 and under. And my guess is that the preponderance of the users there are more towards 17 than they are to 24. And that's certainly a much wider category than the category it's going to replace, which is nine to 12-year-old males. But one of the biggest bear theses on Roblox was that they were not going to be able to age up. And at a minimum, as their users get older, they are continuing to stay on the Roblox platform. And that's important. Now, are they going to be able to age up to that next level after? There's multiple companies who are targeting um, uh, taking that that next age group, including Epic, who owns Fortnite. And at some point, Lord knows when, Fortnite Creative 2.0 is going to come. And it's going to be targeted towards the core Fortnite player at first with the ability to create these experiences, probably in a more photorealistic way, using the Unreal Engine, because it's going to be um, built on top of Unreal. So it's something to watch. But in the meantime, Roblox, if you, again, go back to when they went public, their numbers are way higher than they were supposed to be at this point. And a lot of it is that age up coupled with their ability to expand internationally. Well, and, and they're, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, you know, in order to de risk the threat from Epic, they sort of need to age up, right? Like, because the, yes. the, you know, I think yes. like the fear was Epic would move down. So, you know, the, the best way and to sort is, of show the power this is, of this is to age up. Yeah. And so then the question becomes, how do you age up further more quickly? And our belief has been you need to incentivize developers, like sure. including some of the ones that we've invested in at Lightshed Ventures, to build where the fish aren't. And the way you could do that is by expanding your game fund. Now, the conventional wisdom right now among investors is this is a free cash flow generating business, one whose margins have come down since the pandemic as they continue to reinvest, that they should generate more cash flow. They are way too early in the opportunity for that. We would actually like to see them invest more to age up. And one of the ways that um, they're starting to work on aging up is through advertising. It's something that you really didn't see out of Roblox in the past. And Rich was surfing around on Snap, as he does, uh, because he likes Discover a lot. Let's let's face it. And he was- I use the products. I am a believer that you have to use these products to understand them. And enjoy uh, and- them. Yeah. And just see what they're doing. And like, 
you know, I would see a lot like when I thought of advertising on Snap, I, I would see lots of direct to consumer brands like Casper, like you, all the things that you would expect you, you saw on Snap for these D2C brands. And I was just floored when I was scrolling through the other day and I saw a Roblox ad, which is what we have here on the right. And I'm going to play it. You can uh, play just it. a short clip of it. Now, but what's interesting is that doesn't look like a photorealistic, like that looks like sort of young kid Roblox. Of course, Rich. I mean, you're the... The change in Roblox, if you go back to when they first started, it looked, you know, it was blocksy, right? <laughs> Blocky figures. And over time, they've improved that um, with rounded edges, much more depth, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to take time to get to, you know, real photorealism, which is probably when you start to really bring in older demos. But it does look better, way better now than it used to. And things will improve on a continuum. Nothing happens overnight. Sticking on gaming. Um, you love you, this. this well, is I, don't, I don't know how to. How to Walter, actually, I'm going to have Walt read this because I am definitely going to screw this up. So, Walt, could you please read this? YouTube Techie said GTA V has now sold over 170 million units. That's fucking nuts, by the way. Okay. What is what is GTA five cost? Um, if they probably on at so for a sixty dollar title, which many of these units were sold at sixty, right? Um, you'd get forty two dollars. My guess is that the average on the unit sales is lower than that. But don't forget, they have GTA Online, which monetizes multiple hundred million dollars a year, also. And this game came out in twenty. 2014 and it's now 2022 so you're talking about six and a half right six to seven billion dollars yeah generated by just gta 5 forget all the other games in the gta series which is why there's so much anticipation for gta 6 to come because it's going to take take two's earnings you know well nicely into the double digit dollars per year and, you know, you look at where the stock's trading and look ahead and it makes the stock look extremely reasonably priced right here. The question is, when is GTA 6 going to come out? It's something that everyone's been bantering about for a long time. Our guess right now is fall of 24, which is fiscal 25 for take two. It's sort of missing the point. The, the point here in my mind is just GTA is this massive global entertainment franchise I know people in your world of video gaming understand that, but like when you're thinking about Marvel and Star Wars and Stranger Things, like nobody puts GTA up in that conversation yeah. for content monetization. And the numbers are just, I mean, I saw that 170 and I just was like, you know, staggering in terms of like what that number means. Yeah, it's crazy because all of the shows or franchises, or movies, whatever that you just um, mentioned are all extremely character driven and this isn't it is you know obviously there's a story um there but after that it's really a platform we've got one more on the video game side which is from TechCrunch. app lovin wants to buy video game maker unity for 20 billion 
um, this is actually sort of a not a great tweet because it, it or it's sort of funny because it's not a great tweet. Well, it's not a great tweet because the way it just describes it, like I don't think of Unity as a video game company. I think of Unity as sort of yes, it is the you know guts to build video games, but they really make their money from ad tech, and that, that's sort yeah, of what App Lovin is too. Is really an ad tech company, so it's sort of a an ad tech. Yeah, and and this is really about sort of a hostile, sort of hostile Unity, uh, you know, against Unity. Unity's trying to buy Iron Source and merge with Iron Source to get scale and sort of hurt App Lovin. Now App Lovin's saying, "Hey, Unity, don't buy Iron Source, merge with us," which would literally eviscerate Iron Source and make the sort of combined Unity App Lovin the dominant player in sort of mobile game advertising or mobile game ad tech, uh, third-party ad tech. We'll see whether it happens that the shareholder vote for Unity and Iron Source was in the fall. I think the big question is, does this sort of set off like a chain reaction of like higher bids? And, you know, what is where does Unity take this now? Uh, it seems to, you know, it, my guess is AppLovin was pretty threatened by Unity Iron Source. Yeah, and this I think is their reaction. Um, apparently, they wanted to dilute some, some shareholders and board presence because Adam is Adam. Um, so I think that's also part of it. We'll we'll see where this goes, but Riccatello, you know, on that unity call wouldn't even address it. It was pretty interesting. He's like, Wait, we're where we are where we received this, but then went ahead and was going off on all the reasons that the iron source deal made sense. So maybe that's posturing to get a higher price. That's those those companies are pretty much at parity right now in terms of market cap, though. So you just said they bought them because they were concerned about them competitively? Well, Explain. B is trying to buy C, and now A is trying to buy B. Because they're worried about no. B and C no, impact you messed, on you messed, A. You messed up, I think. B was well, trying to How about buy. not using the letters? You can. It's okay to use the company names. Okay. Okay. Unity yes. is buying Iron Source. Understood. Which, which is theoretically bad for AppLovin. App right. So they're making an acquisition to prevent thing. potential competition. Yes. yes. So A is buying B. A is AppLovin buying Unity or offering. Okay. That's a lot of extra words, but they're basically <laughs> buying a company to prevent competition. That's yes. right. Competition, competition. competition. <laughs> you're not, you're, you're worried about the regulatory side of this. I can tell already. I'm just pointing out the narrative. No, no, no. I, I know. It's an interesting third-party take. I like that. Um, Walt, why don't we go to T-Mobile? Walt, I have a question. Oh, can boy. We, can we cut um, Wheeler doing competition, competition, so we could just play it every time we say competition? Like have a little button on the dashboard on this? Yeah, a little button. Speaking of... We need speaking, sound effects. Speaking about deals that were supposed to improve competition, and now we see increased pricing, we have some news of T-Mobile, <laughs> which is revealing its plans to acquire licenses in the 600 megahertz spectrum band for $3.5 billion. I mean, this is fascinating because they had this lease deal with Columbia Capital. It was at a low price that they they effectively, in my view, used because they were forced into a lease with DISH to try and get the, the dish lease down. We talked about their need to own this spectrum many, many times. They, and you know, a lot of times when people troll dish, they're like, oh, dish's spectrum's not worth that because those companies could have bought it at the same auction. Why didn't they just buy it at the same auction? Well, T-Mobile 
bought this just bought this spectrum for three and a half billion. They could have bought it four or five years ago for like two billion or what two something, two, three, whatever the number is. It was a you know significant. That's what happens in this market. And I think there's more acquisitions like the word is that T-Mobile's corp dev has been, you know, especially under Sievert, which they've taken a nastier approach to their counterparties. You know, obviously with Dish, we already saw how that fell out. They ended up re-shredding and giving them a better deal as we predicted in our 20 top 22 for 22. Um, in this case, I think T-Mobile is going to go out and buy some more spectrum. And I think we've already allocated $5 billion plus for additional spectrum purchases to clean up. Um, to deliver the service, especially now that they're seeing success in fixed wireless, that they're going to want to be able to bring that to more locations and make sure they've got consistent spectrum depth. And, and you know, in the case of this low band spectrum, good quality of service wherever you go. More spectrum. More spectrum, spectrum, spectrum. Yes. Spectrum. Sort of like location. So there's, again, takeaways, you know, more, more to come for T-Mobile and those that have criticized Dish's ability to have spectrum values higher because they bought it at a very cheap price. I think that's a, a big validator, including in this case, in the 600, if they needed to lease or sell spectrum to T-Mobile, I think that's certainly a possibility. And if not them, then maybe Comcast. Comcast buy spectrum. I mean, if wireless is going to be a portion of the vertical bundle, and I know, but and can you're imagine, adding subs. Hold on. I'm just, just time out. I'm just saying, Comcast starts buying Spectrum with, with their well, cash. Well, look what Charter's doing right now in their wireless business. They're building out CBRS Spectrum, of which in large part they bought at auction. Comcast already owns 600 megahertz Spectrum. So this I would know. just be deepening that position for offload for the wireless business that I that I think a lot of analysts, when when Comcast and Charter put up those shit home broadband numbers, like, oh, but look at the wireless business and how good it's doing. Like, okay, if you're just, let's a reminder for our podcast listeners, the most successful MVNO in, in, the, in the world, or in, in, especially in this country, was um, TrackPhone. They got a 10% EBITDA margin with 27 million customers. Why? Because you have to pay a certain... Now, obviously, MVNO's wholesale agreements are different. And maybe prices are lower, yada, yada, yada. But like, how do you improve margins? You offload it. How do you offload? You buy Spectrum. You only Spectrum. Yeah, I know. It's just Comcast stock is trading sort of back to where it was pre-pandemic um, <laughs> or even a little bit lower. I think if all of a sudden they start ramping wireless, you know, effectively CapEx, um, I mean, people thought that in terms of the operating losses, and they they cranked up some significant cumulative operative operating losses in the wireless business. Charter's still generating losses, but Charter um, says, "Don't worry, it'll be fine." I don't like when this has happened. Op, you know, investors haven't cared. In fact, investors are now looking to wireless as a potential bright spot. I think one of See, our peers yeah. said, "This is the next leg of growth." I'm like. And then these same analysts would say profitless prosperity to other, like to AT&T, who's generating a fucking 60% or a 50% margin on their business. Like, yes. it's ridiculous. So there's probably nothing shocking about the fact that TikTok has been a huge rise. This is a sort of, I think this is a Pew Research study showing, you know, percentage of US teens who say they ever use any of the following apps and TikTok's up to Two thirds now above Instagram, Snapchat, double the size of Facebook. Nothing surprising there. The reason I have this is just sort of the the unbelievable reach and power of YouTube at ninety five percent of of U.S. teens um, using YouTube, um, and it's just 
again, it, it's there's the, the two things clearly TikTok just keeps rising and rising. Uh, but then I think the other part of this is, you know, YouTube is still being used on a lot of different platforms. And we've talked about how YouTube is the number two most used TV app um, behind only Netflix and way ahead of of Hulu and Prime Video, multiple times the size of Disney Plus. And it just sort of, you know, keeps I want to keep banging the drum on TikTok TV, which I really believe is going to be a much bigger event over the next 12 to 18 months. And it's just getting no attention in the press. They're already launched on Google TV uh, as a TVOS app. And I think you're going to see a lot more. And I think it's just as that keeps rising in terms of usage, how do you go back to what you were talking about with, with Roblox? How do you age up? How do you, you know, expand your overall reach? platforms, more platforms, sort of TikTok everywhere. And I think the TV is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, I think it's more platforms and more use cases, right? So additional product development, longer form video, many other things that they could do. Well, you um, want to read this one because that sort of plays into it. I, but just going back to that slide sure. um, that you had up there, I think there's sure. one other interesting thing on there. Here, let me pull it up. Just pull it up. Look at Instagram. Instagram still growing, by the way, not shrinking, True. still growing among teens. Yep. Yeah, right. So right. whereas so the perception is the perception is, is that it's the climate. TikTok is eating their lunch narrative. Yes, they've passed Instagram, but Instagram and Snap, by the way, both still uh, growing users. It's more obvious with Snap because we see the actual DAU number when they report earnings. We don't see the exact for Instagram. So that's interesting. Obviously, on the flip side of that for the the company formerly known as Facebook is Facebook Blue is just getting smoked into irrelevancy. Also on here, you see Twitter the same. Twitter. I mean, the fact that it's going to be below Twitter in maybe a year. It, it may be. And Twitter is on the absolute decline. So this is again for our, for our podcast listeners. What what they're referencing here is percent of U.S. teens. So this is one only one segment right. of the market that we're referring to at the moment. Yeah, but it's an important one sure. and a leading indicator for older uh, yep. demos. Walt, you want to read this one? Sure, Rich. I'd be happy to. Uh, as an elder millennial who came of age when Google became a verb, I had difficulty grasping that 40% of Gen Zers use TikTok for search. So I hosted a mini focus group with Gen Zers to learn more. Here are three takeaways. One. One. Where are the takeaways? I don't even see it. Where are the takeaways? We, right? we don't have the takeaways. Well, why the is this tweet even? What, what is this, well, what's the point of this tweet? <laughs> the point of this tweet was the fact that Gen Zers are using TikTok for search. Yeah, but where are the fucking takeaways? Yeah. I mean, you want me to read the takeaways? I can no. read the takeaways. I, I don't know. I don't under. I don't understand. It's it's just a for, for lifestyle content. <laughs> it is a <laughs> quick way to understand a topic. I think just just the fact that TikTok is being used for information search is so different than what I think most people people think of TikTok as information. They don't right, think of read it as a three takeaways. One, I, I, I don't, I I'm going to read Brandon. Shush. I'm going to read the three exactly. takeaways as you asked. But you, one, TikTok shows them relevant content faster than Google. Two, the Gen Z focus group participants weren't concerned about misinformation on TikTok. 
Three, the Gen Z focus group participants don't want to read to find information. I'm gonna have to read the second sentence here. It says they will if they have to, but if they can't, if they can get a quick video with the answer, that's what they prefer. And then there's an uh, associated video with it that you can contact us if you want to take a look at this. Okay, maybe so- we'll put the link. We'll put the link in the show notes. It's a good tweet, Mark. Okay, Gen Z people are lazy. It tells me that. <laughs> it tells me that first. <laughs> But also what you think of as content or as information has changed. In the age of Google or the age that Google grew up in, it was text and that's it. It's right? changed because people have, have come to the realization, whether true or not, that there are no truths. <laughs> so like, why bother searching for the truth? <laughs> you're, just, you're just willing to, to have whatever the algo says you want to see your truth to be served to you. That's the future. Wonderful. Well, well done, Gen Z. Brandon, why don't you read the bottom one? Because I think this sort of is also fascinating and ties. Yeah, maybe we could do better with this one than we did the last one. Shut the fuck up. Move on. Keep going. Uh, This is from Olivia Deng. TikTok is testing a new feature identifying keywords and comments and linking to search results for them. Okay, so this is tied to the last one. TikTok is trying to become real-time search with the idea that different types of content, not just, you know, traditional information, textual information um, can be highly relevant and consumable can be consuming things in a different way may work for people like Gen Zers or Gen Alpha that don't know how to read and never will learn. Is that good? Well, yeah, because it also shows you, I mean, look, the ad market we know is stagnating. We're seeing that out of YouTube. You're seeing that out of Meta. Like everywhere we look, it's stagnating. But yet look at this product innovation at TikTok where they're growing and capturing more dollars. If the market's flat and somebody's exploding in terms of growth, that's why you're seeing Meta cut back jobs, Google stop hiring, Snapchat firing people. Like there is just... You know, it's got to come out of somewhere. You know, you sort of you, you were talking about sports rights. It's got to come out of somewhere, right? You know, in the cable network ecosystem, I think that's sort of what's happening in the the mobile ad ecosystem, right? Is that TikTok is just powering and and growing, and there isn't enough market growth anymore, or any market growth anymore for the other players. I will say this, okay? When you think about Twitter, it was always supposed to be what's happening exactly now. They never got the search function on that correct, despite the fact that the hashtag was a big part of their syntax. Maybe Elon can fix that. Instagram in the early days could be real-time image search and then video search of what's happening now. Maybe TikTok, because they have the ability to, you know, hit that search algorithm based on their recommendation technology, um, can serve that function such that you know, there's a fire in Chicago. I don't know why I said maybe the great Chicago fire. You search Chicago fire and it shows you the images and videos that are posted to TikTok in real time to serve that purpose that Twitter was supposed to, but never able to serve. And the opportunity that Instagram missed. We've got a tweet from Lucas Shaw, because there's a lot of news this week about Apple sort of investing in original content for podcasts. And I thought what I loved about what Lucas sort of 
called bullshit on sort of the, the story in a sense. I think it was his story, but then he called sort of like framed it of like, okay, Spotify has spent more than 1 billion on original audio. Apple is closer to 10 million. And basically that like, just don't misread. Apple has been really far, far more focused on original video for Apple TV plus where just the content pipeline keeps getting better and better and broader. And Spotify is really the key player really investing in podcasting. Apple doesn't really seem to care about podcasting. I know they're even the story was sort of they're investing in podcasting, not because they love podcasting, but as a way to sort of test content that would upstream into Apple TV Plus. So it just sort of or promote or promote content. Correct. Um, we already have with offshoots of it um, in the audio channel. Ten million dollars is very low. I think they need to buy some of the companies that were personally invested in to bulk that up. Just I don't think block. Apple's. I don't think Apple's going to buy podcast companies in any major way. I just think it's just not their style. I think they'll invest in some original content, but I'd be surprised if they buy studios. It's just not their, not Apple's style. We're screwed. Um, (laughs) I think Walt should read the last slide because he loves cleaning his house. Rich, this is from Bloomberg Quick Take at Quick Take. Amazon will make money from selling robot vacuums, but the real value is the robot's ability to map your house. Rich, I don't know if you know this, but I am in fact an iRobot owner. As an owner of two dogs, it is a great way to pick up- I did not data. know that. That is new information to the LightShed team. And yes, there is a, though anyone that owns an iRobot knows that they have a mapping thing. So I can send it to the dining room. I can send it to the living room, the kitchen, wherever it is to, to vacuum up that particular area from its home base. Does it work? Product. Does it yeah, really it work? Great. 100% works great. So we talk about um, the AR space, right? Yeah, and they will They will know my house. They know my household layout. Yes. In, in and where order, my furniture is. Thank you. In order to really build out um, an AR platform, you need Google Maps or Apple Maps, whatever, on steroids, where you actually can see inside of all of the buildings where you may use AR glasses. And so this is maybe a head start. And who knows, maybe Amazon has augmented reality. Oh, I thought you were going to say Amazon's going to be the metaverse company. That's what I thought was going to roll off your lips. Now, turn up the music, Rich, because this this song right here. This is a great way to go out for episode 119. I was going to make another point. was a request from our friend Todd. And uh, we said that he was he, he was thinking about this song as being um, uh, timely. But, but Walt has another point, and you've already cut him off like thirty-seven times this week. So I'm going to throw it over to Walt and cut you off. Okay, you just you just cranked the you just cranked the music up. Well, then, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I cranked it down. And let you talk. So go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I was going to build upon what Brandon was saying in terms of mapping out the inside of the house, which they're mapping the outside of the house through. Ring in the case of Amazon and Nest in the case of Google, where you're getting a clear shot of what's going on outside and around. And in some cases, those people have those cameras inside the house as well. Can I just say one last thing? It's sort of funny that Meta takes all this shit for privacy and privacy violations and sort of like (laughs) using your data and like, I don't know. It's just sort of funny how Meta, everything Meta does is bad. And I think there was more examples of well, bad Rich, Meta I, behavior. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bring up, I wouldn't defend. Um, no, no, I'm not defending. I wouldn't defend Facebook this week after the information that they sent to officials. 
I understand. I'm just think it's interesting that sort of these other companies do not have that sort of. It's all right. Google's the one who's getting sued. So whatever. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say that Meta is the only one who's taken the heat. Anyway, this is a song for you, Todd. You wanted a song that described the rock in a hard place position that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and others are in now trying to, you know, grow subscribers but cut back on spending at the same time. Here it is from Steel Wheels and Rolling Stone. Have a great weekend, everyone. Tina Turner. Do the Mick Jagger dance. Give me the truth now. Don't want no shame. I'm gonna put my sonny's back on. Yeah. Thanks everyone. We're out of here. Guys, stop.